Welcome to another episode of Brain Blast. Today we got Jack Rains, a professional shit poster for liquidity. He also writes a newsletter called Young Money, which has over 4,000 subscribers. It's one of my favorite newsletters out there, no cap. Um, this is our second conversation because our first one was screwed up because of Argentinian Wi-Fi. So if you're a little confused, deal with it. Enjoy. Jason, oh. what's up, man? What's good? Back in America. Yeah, hopefully with better Wi-Fi this time. Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's good to have you back on here. Um, how's how's everything going today? Uh, it's going well. I've been driving all over the place. Had to go pick up a Jeep from my dad's place down in South Georgia. Um, he wanted it back whenever I was down in South America. So basically had to go three hours down the highway with one of my friends and then dropped three hours back up, but it's all good. So I'm back in the home base in Atlanta. Got you. Nice. Yo, so did that trunk fan uh, connect happen for, for the listeners? Uh, Jack's been, Jack tweeted at trunk earlier and looked like I, I tweeted about them collabing, maybe something in the works. So I had ironically messaged him five minutes before you replied that saying like, yo, I don't know what the topic would be, but if you're interested in collabing sometime, um, I think our writing styles would mesh well. And he was down with it. And then we don't have like anything actually planned out yet, but like it's uh, open-ended for something in the future potentially. But when, uh, when you replied that I sent that tweet to him with like the eyeball emojis, and then we both replied that to your tweet. So it was pretty ironic. Nice, man. I would, I would love to see that uh, happen. That'd be, yep. that'd be a good article. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The king of memes. Um, yo, I'm still thinking about that meme agency or meme agency. How would, how would they make that happen? I feel like Trung's going to launch a, a shit posting course or something at some point. His, he, like what he's actually been doing has been pretty phenomenal. Like everything he does is trying to funnel attention back to his Substack newsletter, because that's like, it's kind of the game everybody's playing. You make as much noise as you can on social media to push everything towards a platform that can be better monetized either through ads or through subscriptions. So people know he does great content and now he's slowly moving from just doing threads to doing threads, but also like incorporating his Saturday newsletter post and he, he's phenomenal, like masterclass of the stuff. Yeah. He, he's great for sure. Is he doing uh, paid subscriptions or ads? I think ads. Um, I read his stuff every Saturday. I don't think he's monetized it yet. And I don't know what exactly that level he's going to do that at. I haven't talked to him about the details, but I know that that's the uh, kind of the mechanism he's going with right now. It makes sense. He used to write for The Hustle, which is like a huge uh, newsletter company owned by HubSpot. So, I mean, he knows as good as anybody what works and what doesn't in this field. For sure. For sure. Um, so how last time I talked to you, you had started posting uh, brilliant posts on LinkedIn. Very, very insightful. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, shit posting on LinkedIn. How is how is that going? Have you been seeing followers and um what's what's been happening i got temporarily banned from linkedin this morning actually <laughs> so i had a i had a, a bit of a i guess brain blast literally be a good word to use for this um 
but it hit me the other day that I could just start adding as many of the recommended matches as possible on LinkedIn until I hit a limit. And I don't know what the exact number is. I think it's like 250 a week, but I added every recommended connection from my university and from Atlanta or whatever city I was in at the time um, just to see what would happen. And it pops up with warnings, like make sure you're not like using a program or robot adding people or blah, blah, blah on LinkedIn. But at about 250, I hit a limit. So I've done that the last two weeks and I'm literally doing it to build as many connections as possible. So when I do put a shit post, more eyeballs see it and people might spread it. And then when I do post like my actual young money stuff on LinkedIn, again, more people will see it. But today I was going through mass adding people and I got forced logged out and they said they thought I was using some sort of like auto ad program. And if I was, my account would be discontinued immediately. If not, I'd be back in an hour. So I got back on and then just kept adding people as soon as I was back. But nice. What do you, a, I was about you, to say, this is a, so a very like early thing, but in a couple of months, I'll have a better idea of how effective the whole LinkedIn game has actually been. Yeah, for real. What do you do to keep yourself going through the boredom of adding people? It's a very boring process. Do you put on like pump up music or something? I just add them. I just give myself five minutes of pure boredom. You just click, 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 like all the way across the rows. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't take that long because you can just scroll through and hit the button. So um, it's pretty tedious, but it doesn't take that long. So it's okay. That's fair. I feel like a lot of this stuff is tedious, but it's worth it. Correct. Um, yeah. So are you're not running ads on Young Money yet, are you? No, I probably will by the beginning of May though. My like kind of rounded off number in my head is 5,000 subscribers and I'm at 4340 right now. So realistically, I'll probably hit 5,000 at latest by the end of April at the rate I'm going right now. And mm. I'll probably, I think I'll put out some sort of survey on Young Money to try to get some general reader demographic information like basic income level, geography, education level, male or female uh, profession, just so like, if you have that information, it makes your ads like, or it just makes your uh, platform way more valuable to advertisers if they know like, okay, it's like 75% age 25 to 50 males that generally work in finance or consulting, for example, just kind of spitballing because I don't know for sure. But if you know that companies that like are looking for that demographic will probably pay like 50% more to advertise on it. Got you. Understood. And, and do you have a strategy about contacting companies and so forth? So liquidity uses this company called bullish studios to do, they like source their ads for them. And a lot of other people use them as well. Dr. Parikh Patel uses them, uh, rap capital. Um, and then a lot of like, that's just the meme pages. There's plenty of just like individual creators who use them as well. But like I've been in contact with them because I work with them some with some of the stuff for liquidity. So they've told me that once I get a 5,000 plus, try to get some demographic information and then it'll be easier to come up with a price range. I mean, it might be 250 bucks an article. It might be 500 an article. It really just depends on like what we can convince companies to pay for it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if <laughs> the good thing about writing a money newsletter is it tends to go to people who have a lot of money, right? So. Correct. And there's a <laughs> massive market for it. So yeah, situation. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I guess who, who is your ideal reader, I guess, in, in your head, who are you writing for the audience of one? 
Um, I would, I would say myself, honestly, as far as like who I try to target my, like what I write about, it's pretty much everything I write is applicable to me from an advertising standpoint. Um, the typical, like young professional, probably male that's like, I mean, yeah, that's about it. People with, I guess like kind of that young professional with like money to spend. And then if I advertise, if it's like, like male clothing or, it could be anything from that to a finance app to an exchange to like a money management app that they would find useful. Um, throw it on there. Got you. Got you. That makes sense for sure. Um, nice, man. Does it piss you off that Beehive doesn't have comments? Is that something you think about? Honestly, not really. I, I actually talked to Tyler, the uh, like CEO of Beehive. I asked him a couple of months ago if that was something they were looking at. He said they thought about it, but they thought it just added unnecessary noise. If a lot of people wanted to, they could incorporate it. But for me personally, I, people reply a lot via email, and I don't mind like replying to the emails and stuff like that too. Plus, I haven't had an issue with this, but if it is public and I get a big enough reader base, I would probably have to deal with like, censoring bad comments occasionally and stuff like that and if it's just in my email inbox whatever and nobody else will see it so it, it doesn't really bug me got you yeah i actually got my first uh weird comment it was all sorts of languages no cursing yep. they didn't call me a dick or anything but it was it was weird okay um, that's good yeah yeah so glad about that but um yeah i guess that is the downside i do like like you look at something like um, Anthony Gar or Antonio Garcia Martinez and like yeah. the comments are like, they're just intelligent, intelligently yeah. done. Um, so I appreciate when it comes to that kind of stuff. But um, so since we talked last, uh, you wrote about fuck you money. So uh, could you just kind of say where your head's at about that? Yeah. So I um, like, I've, I've been thinking a little bit about it before, like we talked and then you asked me what my fuck you money level was. And that kind of, when I was thinking about your question, that's what really got the brains turning on. What is that? And around that same time, probably a day after um, we had our call, I read the, um, the Sim to leave quote about like what he called fuck you money, which is, I actually agree with him a lot on it's a middle range and not an upward like bound on a chart. But yeah, it's, it's the easiest way to put it is it's the amount of money where like you can sleep well at night without thinking about money. And that can vary from person to person. For some people, it could be a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you know that you're going to make it and you're not that worried about where the money comes from. For some people it might be $500,000 or a million dollars a year. But I think it's more so like a cash flow number than it is a net worth number. Um, I think net worth is a lot less important than money you have coming in. You know, my net worth could be say a hundred thousand dollars, but if I'm no, I'm making like 150 grand this year and I can put some of it back, then the net worth isn't that important. So I think it's a cash flow number and it, it like lies in a range. Yeah, I totally agree. If you're not making money, but you have money in the bank account, it's just saying goodbye. Like, yep. It's yep. uh, which is which is terrifying because, um, you know, I would love to write more. I would I would love that, but you know, I'm making, you know, a, a decent amount, but I'm making less than my rent, because uh, yep. I live in a kind of a bougie ass apartment right now. But yep. my, my lease ends in August, and I have two options, which is move to New York where it's expensive, and my girlfriend and a lot of friends are or just get a cheaper place and 
and save up and not have to pay rent. So yeah, some, something I've been thinking about quite a lot is um, what what move do I make? You know, so. But yeah, another question I got based off one of your tweets, uh, underrated aspect of traveling is following 200 plus folks on Instagram. How do you think about those kind of friends and like uh, making friends when traveling? Because I have those as well, just the transient friendships that like come about. It's it's a weird way. Uh, it's weird. I would say that there's like, there's kind of the inner circle of friends that I traveled with where it's like, there's like, there's still a group of about seven guys that I talked to probably weekly that I met in like August or September. And I think travel, like relationships, friendships, stuff like that just accelerate a lot faster because if you're living in Atlanta and you meet somebody else living in Atlanta, you might hang out with them on the weekends for a few months and then you slowly become pretty good friends. And then they're part of your inner circle. But when you're traveling and you meet somebody at a hostel and Barcelona, Spain, and you're hanging out five days straight, like exploring the city, going out at night, just doing whatever you have, like, it's almost like a more aggressive friendship that forms quickly. And there's that common bond of we're both out here traveling, seeing the world. And then if you end up like going to another city or another place with that person, which I've done, like there were probably seven people that I ended up going from city to city with at some point last fall, uh, that bond becomes really strong. So I have a group text with five guys. We did like a two week road trip around central Europe and like, we're all still boys. Like we shoot the shit all the time. We have a WhatsApp group, like asking how work's going with everybody. Like when somebody taking another trip, um, a guy I met in Portugal, I went to Argentina with for six weeks, even though we had in person been together like six days total for that, just because we had a lot in common thought it would be fun. Um, but I think you have those people, you have the ones where it's like, you hung out at one spot, you were like good friends, but it was a day or two. And then, or you weren't good friends, but you hit it off and it's a day or two and then you split up. But if you happen to be in the same place as them later, it's like, oh dude, let's go grab a drink. Like a guy that I met in Budapest and then ran into again in Florence, really small world, lives in Denver. So when I was going out there to go skiing, I got to, I got to Denver like four hours before the bus or the shuttle was going out to Breckenridge and we went and grabbed a beer and just like called up. And then there's the people who I follow, who I don't even know who they are. I like probably met them at a hostel or a bar or something. It'll be like some dude from London or some chick from Argentina. And it's like, don't remember who they are. Glad to see they're doing well, but whatever. Yeah, Totally. Um, what's your thoughts on Dunbar's number when it comes to internet friends? I don't know. It's it. That's such a, that's like the, the hierarchy of friendships, right? Where you have like the, like the different rings or whatever. Correct. That's what Dunbar's number is. What's uh, the, yeah. So the idea is like, you can only maintain 150 social relations, good social relationships in, uh, at any given time. I think the internet skews it because I definitely have more than 150 like pretty good acquaintances, I would say that if I, if they were in Atlanta and texted me, like, I'd love to go hang out with them or they could crash on my couch or something like that. Um, but I don't talk to them like at all. So it's really just like a past bond, but you're still seeing their content or their post online. So they still exist in your head. So I would say the internet, I, w- I wouldn't say that it doubles Dunbar's number, but it twisted a lot. You know what I mean? Like, 
because you can still keep up with people without having to actually like physically maintain the relationship. It extends the amount of people that can float back into and out of your life easy. It makes Dunbar's number a lot more transient if you if you're active on the internet. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, definitely have some internet friends who I feel like I would love to see if I'm in a city, but who knows what happens. Um, yeah. So always interesting. Um, switching off the topic, uh, I'm, I'm writing an article right now about CCO, um, Creative Commons. Uh, kind of, have you, have you thought about that when it comes to, you know, the t- Cryptodes projects done it, uh, the Met did it with all their art. What um, is that? Uh, Cryptodes? No, CCO. The, the CCO, yeah. Yeah, so rather than, so CCO is Creative Commons, and rather than uh, a company trying to copyright their work and make sure nobody uses it and suing them for <laughs> everything they got, uh, CCO is the idea that you could go build off our work, go build whatever the hell you want, go sell it, do whatever, like, go use our artwork, and the value will come back to us in the long run. And um, it's something, yeah, something I'm thinking a lot about, um, you know, cryptos did it really well. Jack Butcher started selling sweatshirts with the, the character on it. And, yep. you know, that's 200,000 new eyes on the project. So I'm a, I'm a big Jack Butcher fan and met him. He was living in Atlanta for about two months. So I got coffee with him a few times. So I didn't, I didn't know the terminology for it, but he does that with his own artwork, like the visualized value. Like he loves when people like, posts his charts and graphs even if he doesn't get credit for it just because as he's gotten bigger people know where to associate that or they'll ask where it came from and you're right it does indirectly bring more people back i I think it's a great idea like in the olympics um nbc was like or nbc or whoever had the contract for the olympic television contract was so strict about like where clips could be shown online there were no highlights popping up on twitter and if you're not watching it, you don't even know what's going on in the Olympics versus the NBA where they want everything promoted on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And it's made the game more exciting. I think like it should be encouraged to share stuff as long as you're not trying to pass it off as your own work, like pure plagiarism. If it's just you're putting it out there and not claiming like ownership of it, I think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I can agree more. Um, yeah just the composability of it like you could build off anything it'd be so much you know what if what if you could just use disney characters in your work all the time or sell shit or cartoon characters or whatever um going with a so best sub one thousand dollar purchase you've ever made you tweeted that that's a tim ferris question if i've ever heard one Um, yeah it is (laughs) what what was the best uh response you got um it's actually a a very very random one but it was i can't remember what the name of it was like an aqua pick or something but it's like uh it's basically like a a flossing thing that uses like uh like propelled water to clean out your gums and stuff i hate flossing normally and that was actually something that now that i'm back in atlanta i'm looking at ordering one because i thought that it was just a fantastic (laughs) thing to buy and it's like 50 bucks yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of mine. I'd, I'd probably say my backpack, like, yep. you know, I, I kind of balled out on it and got like a, a photography backpack and, okay. um, but it just serves me so well. It'll never break. I could fit two laptops and an iPad in there. Plus chargers. Like, yeah, it's, it's fire. Yeah. My, uh, my personal one would either be like the plane ticket I bought to Barcelona back in August or a good pair of running shoes. I bought some of those uh, on cloud. It's like a Swiss brand of shoes uh, around Christmas and fantastic. Like just 
much like having a just a comfortable supportive shoe for just walking and running around in is total game changer so uh kyla scanlon had commented that and i think that was the comment that got the most likes too but she was right that's a that's a great one as well x x good shoes always help um yeah are you reading anything good right now i am reading 48 laws of power by robert green have you read it <laughs> i've read part of it it makes me think weird thoughts yeah it makes you feel like everything is kind of a manipulation game yeah it's, it's yeah. strange what have you gotten out of it um, I'm five chapters in right now. I just started it a couple of days ago and then I lost my Kindle on an airplane. Um, oh. so now I'm like reading it on my laptop. I'm about to order. I, I love my Kindle. So I'm going to order a new one, but, um, I, I thought you were about to grab a Kindle from the side for a second when I said that, yeah, no. but, uh, I don't know. I just think, uh, I think anything about like human interactions and kind of the psychology behind it is very interesting. Um, I'm not like a psychopath trying to just figure out how to manipulate as many people by reading like Dale Carnegie and Robert Greene as much as possible. But I do think that there's a lot of truth, even if you want to ignore it to that, because people are always inherently for the most part out for themselves. Um, I think a lot of the stuff he talks about can be applied like on setting up incentives that are like win-win for people where whether it's you and your boss, like coworker, girlfriend, anything like that. Um, I think understanding how power structures work between people can help you like basically maintain and create better circumstances for everybody involved. Like, I don't think it has to be a zero sum game where for me to win, somebody else has to lose. You can, you can set up win-win situations in life. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, um, I like one of them where it was like, don't, uh, what is it? Don't uh, be better than your master or something like, yeah, be the apprentice and, um, yeah, I've, I've made that mistake before and it pissed off the person. Right? Oh yeah. Every, everybody's been there and it's, it's annoying that it does that because you being good shouldn't piss somebody off, but people can be insecure and, you know, nobody wants to get usurped by their Padawan or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm pulling up the laws right now. Let's, let's see. Uh, I was having a conversation about this with a friend. I'm not going to name his name, but uh, also a Twitter buddy and he's like ceo of a you know a company and everything and was thinking about it um let's see don't trust friends use enemies damn that's that's uh court attention at all costs the trunk fan route he definitely read that um yeah uh have you read venkatesh rao no i haven't all right he's even darker (laughs) um yeah he has a book called be slightly evil a guide for sociopaths um okay yeah you read it i have yeah he's at vgr on twitter um i i believe in reading banned books i believe in reading like the shit that's that you're not supposed to read um i think it's i think it's uh there's like like you were saying there's hidden knowledge for everybody i don't identify as a sociopath um i i wish i was sometimes because i'm like i have empathy and it pisses me off sometimes (laughs) I was like, like I've told my therapist that I'm just like, man, I wish I was supposed to be a sociopath. So I'm not sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some stuff in there. Also, he has one essay that's like about the power dynamics of opening doors for people and just like really deep, like 10 pages just straight on that. And it's like, that's fucking weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's a decent writer though. Really, 
really smart guy. Um, have you uh, have you ever read The Rational Male by Rolo Tamsani or something like that? I can't remember his last name. No, it's no. uh, it was uh, I don't I don't agree with everything he said, but it's I thought it was going to be about like something stupid like some pickup artist stuff or something like that because it's about kind of the like i hate using the term red pill movement because red pill i think like the red pill like subreddit page or whatever is just kind of stupid as hell like something that incels go by but his book was actually really interesting because he's like a like 50 year old guy now like married three kids so he's not some like basement dungeon loser but it was written about the uh, kind of like dynamics between like men and women, how like both biology, psychology, like biological clocks, um, like kind of come into play with like, and it reminded me a lot of Robert Greene's book, just with like the power structures at play and how like, as we get older, men tend to have more and more leverage in relationships while women have kind of a biological clock for like basically when they can, like most easily reproduce or whatever and how like modern day culture tries to like change what the power structures are but in reality for basically the history of humanity at least off of first impressions women are drawn to guys with social standing confidence like high income basically guys that run stuff and men are initially attracted to women who are the most physically attractive and then after that there's more nuance all for that and how, like in the modern age, um, that gets skewed a little bit because, like, like, like feminism, women empowerment, it has gotten where like women kind of take on some of the masculine traits in a career field, and it sort of skewed the like male female dynamic. And it was uh, it was just really fascinating to see how this guy's brain worked and how he like just thought out how like guys and girls interact. Um, but yeah, same type of thing. I wouldn't say it's quite as dark as like a sociopath book, but it would be something that would probably be frowned upon in 2022. But I thought it was a really interesting book. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I'll have to think about that or, or read it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's like objectivism. If you've read any Ayn Rand, um, just like after reading her, like it was like my brain was broken for a day. It was like, yeah you know, her whole idea is what is true is true. Like there's, yep. there's no other thing. And it's like, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes there's gray area, but like, sometimes it's a really good mental model to have where it's like, truth is truth. You know, yep. that's, that's as simple as it is like engineers, you know, they, oh, I yeah. don't know, scientists, like, I don't know. It made me, uh, that and, uh, some Naval quote have made me like my idols or, or people I respect, not idols, but just role models totally change you know yep. just go from uh when i was younger it was, it was hip-hop artists and and actors or whatever now it's uh you know scientists and the biologies of the world yeah what do you think of biology's new book coming out honestly i don't really follow him that much on twitter so don't know anything about it i see him when other people retweet his stuff but i don't know i i think he's a smart dude but i don't agree with everything he says so i don't really keep up with him what's it about uh, the network state. So how to start a new country, um, you know, starting in the cloud and then building out from there. I personally think that like a lot of the like super intellectual guys kind of like him almost take it too far. And like, I don't want to say like over complicate stuff, but like some of the stuff about like where they think society is going, I just don't agree with. I think that like, 
countries are still going to be countries states and cities are still going to be states and cities like online communities are cool but i don't think like networks like that are ever going to usurp like like physical geographic um communication even if you like meet people online like you can live like a digital nomad forever you're going to meet and like associate with the other people physically in your location if i'm a nomad like working for an american company living in buenos Aires, i'm still going to hang out with other people that are in like argentina you know mm-hmm. yeah i agree um i do think he's got cool ideas about pseudonymity uh yeah. in general uh like i have a hot take which which i'm going to write about soon which is just like I think punk 6529, like the non-account, I think it's Balaji. Um, and I think he really, uh, he, he believes in pseudonyms to avoid cancelability. And, you know, if his Twitter account gets banned, like, I think he wants an insurance policy. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I don't think he'd done anything cancelable, but like on the off chance that he gets hacked or something, you know? Makes sense. I mean, I work like for an anonymous meme page, like yeah. what it is the on a completely different end of the spectrum, but same type of thing. He like loves being an anonymous figure operating on the internet space. So it makes sense. Yeah. Does he have, uh, I mean, I, you don't have to say, but does he have like a normal account, just a regular profile? Not that I know of. Uh, he <laughs> could, I'm not aware of it. If he does, I'm sure he has like burners that he looks at stuff sometimes but now it's just liquidity as far as i know that's wild to think about um yeah yeah <laughs> that, that's weird yeah um i've been trying to explain that uh shit posting and memes uh is is a valuable you know is is valuable for drawing attention and whatnot and oh, 100%. Um, how do how do you kind of explain your job when people ask about it um i usually keep it very vague at first because it's kind of all over the place um i'll just say something along the lines of like i write for a living or like i write online and as they ask more and more i'll tell them but it's sort of like a complicated thing to say oh like i write this finance blog but people pay me to cross post my content but i also edit a newsletter for a meme page where i get paid to write sponsored deep dives for companies and it's just it's a lot of words that like you would understand everything I just said, because you also operate in the internet space, but most people don't. And that's just like a very just different thing to say that you do. Um, so I usually just say like, I write online about finance and then as they ask questions, I'll answer them. So it's easier for them to understand it as they go. That's you. Um, so how, how did that start cross posting your posts on other people's like, are these ones that you've already posted on young money so yeah it, it actually is all my old stuff and it, it also you said the thing about memes i was uh I've, i keep a running excel spreadsheet of like different ideas to write about i've got like a backlog of like 74 different things right now but i had one i was making sure it was on there but the memes of production and talking about how like being able to incorporate like memes and just social media zeitgeist into your work is a good way to like basically help market it or help it get more attention without having to pay for marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they got me, they got me off track a little bit. What, what was your question again? Uh, cross posting. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get started doing that? So this guy that uh, he's an anonymous guy, but he runs a newsletter called the alpha letter. And mm-hmm. I had done some stuff with him before I really started writing. He was writing a finance letter and 
somebody like we had a mutual acquaintance who told him about my ridiculous SPAC trading run. So he actually interviewed me the week that my account peaked right around $400,000. I should have known when somebody was interviewing me about it, that that was the top. But um, I started writing after that and he saw my stuff and liked it. And he wanted me to guest post one time on his, on his thing and his audience loved it. And he said, Hey, like I'll pay you. It's like $300 a week to cross post like one article a week. And I was like, okay. And I thought about it and I said, could I just post my old stuff? Cause it's not like your audience would have seen it. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So then it hit me that I can just start recycling old content. So, um, I reached out to, or I had, uh, Dr. Parikh Patel actually put me in touch with another person with a pretty big newsletter. Um, can't say who they are yet because it's not a done deal yet, but about doing content. And I said that I would do one cross post and help them write one Twitter thread a week for a thousand dollars a week to see if they would buy it on it, like bump the price up and they were okay with the price point. And I'm working on like a, like sample to send over to them right now, but I'd keep like, I've got, once you have more and more income streams a bigger audience and you kind of get a feel for how much people are probably making on ads, it gets easier to bump your price up. Like I had another guy that I was on a call with at lunchtime today who wanted me to do a guest post. And I told him, I was like, I'll straight up put this one on your thing for free. Um, if you like credit my newsletter, Twitter account, whatever. And then I said, if your audience likes it, I'm down to make this a weekly thing where either we negotiate a flat fee or an ad revenue split to just do this going forward. And the rationale behind it makes sense. Say that somebody makes, to keep it simple, say someone makes $1,000 um, per advertisement on their newsletter. If they use one of my posts, they didn't have to do any work other than like copy pasting what I send them into their thing. And for me, I don't have to do any additional work because it's old stuff I've already written and they're getting an ad on there. So we just split that ad money. Or if they're doing more or less a thousand a week, we make it a flat $500. And then like over time, if they grow, bump it up to 750 or a thousand. But as I've kind of figured this out, if people reach out to me, I try to push the conversation towards doing that because it's the easiest way to make more money without having to do any additional labor. Like being able to sell old stuff you write is just a phenomenal way to generate money from writing online by leveraging other people's audiences. Damn, that is uh, some <laughs> some fire. I uh, wow, yeah, that's incredible. I need to uh, figure out figure out how to do that and start thinking about that shit. The biggest thing is like you can't really you can't really force the first one. You have to have somebody reach out to you. Like it was kind of out of the blue saying that they like my stuff, wanted me to like potentially cross post one, and then you go from there. But if you have anybody that you know has a big newsletter that says they like your work try to channel the conversation that way and offer to do like one or two guest posts for free. And then if their audience likes the work, like it's on Substack, gets a lot of likes. If uh, they get a lot of email replies and they like it, then you say if they're like, if they're doing an ad model or if they have like a subscriber based model and people are paying say, Hey, like, let's make this a regular thing. Let's come up with like a price point and I'll send you one every Sunday afternoon. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's the best. The other thing too is like, it's, uh, it's free marketing. You literally turn marketing, which is normally an expense, into a revenue stream. Like you're getting credited for your work and they're paying you to put it there. So you're feeding off of their audience and monetizing their audience. It's uh, like pretty incredible way to do it. 
Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm writing for Late Checkout right now, which has been awesome. Uh, good opportunity. Um, Greg's been really helpful mentoring me as well. Um, just going to continue uh, writing for others. It's, it's yeah. a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's good to know about pricing, though. I feel like, like I said, uh, I tweeted this the other day, like uh, as an English major, they taught me nothing about pricing myself on the internet. Yeah. They, they taught me about 1800 books um, and it pisses me off. So it's good to know. I think as a general rule, like always pitch a dollar amount that seems a little bit too high. Like the first one I did with the alpha letter, he pitched 200 bucks. I said, let's bump it up to 300 and just jumped it a little bit. He was cool with that. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how much he was pulling from ads. But now that I have like, I have a kind of ballpark idea. Like if somebody has 50,000 subscribers, they can probably make $2,000 per ad post at least. So I would probably ask for either 500 or a thousand, just depending on what I think they would work with for a cross post. But ask for more than you think you can get because they can always like talk it down. Like they say a thousand is too high, maybe 500 becomes reasonable. But if you start with 500, they might try to talk you down from that. So like, I think it's, it's always like kind of try to highball the offer on this stuff. Yeah, for real. For real. I um, actually got two inbound requests today for the first time. Like, nice. I guess, yeah, that, that was like, I guess when it rains, of course. Um, yeah. No, that's, so. that is how it goes. It's nice. Yeah, I'll, when it's happening, I'll keep you updated on what happens with that. Um, we'll see. I've been so I've been playing around. I just wrote uh, "Funeral of a Crypto Punk" for late checkout. Um, you know, with with Greg's help and everything. But I've been playing around with uh, the idea of releasing short stories about the internet and crypto, and like just kind of playing around with that. And okay. um, it's like it just is a whole different, not not a different newsletter, but like. Uh, just a side project and I don't, I don't even know the right way to like market that or or how to do that correctly but if you have any thoughts uh yeah throw them out there it's um i i don't know it's almost like you you really just have to find ways to get this is going to sound almost like a yoda type of comment like <laughs> answer without giving you an answer but the truth is that i figured out it's really hard like you can't just ask your audience hey would you like this or how should i do this you have to find ways to put information out there and then gauge the engagement off of that. Like for me, it's the emails that get the most replies to them. I know did well, or if the open rates higher, the title was probably a little bit better. Um, the tweets that do well, I usually put either a good quote or the right people with big audiences retweeted them or, and it's, you're always playing this game of like, it's almost like little AB tests constantly going on in my head. Um, they're not necessarily like well thought out scientific experiments, but just kind of like being cognizant of what seems to be received better than other stuff. So I think it's going to take like a little bit of trying to put that material out there in a few different ways. And then once stuff starts gaining traction, lean into that and lean away from the other stuff. 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's all the major questions I had for you, man. Um, but it was, uh, it was really solid talking. I appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for having me on. And I'm glad that I actually could talk the whole time without my internet cutting out 12 times. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Go check out Jack at youngmoney.co. Is that it? Yep. Youngmoney.co. Yes, sir. All right. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. See you, Jason.